Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Believe in Rugby podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, which is the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? This podcast is available on all of your favorite directories, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe in Rugby on Instagram, at Believe Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and at Believe.com. This week, we're going to shake things up a little bit on this podcast as I bring on a nutritionist and Dr. Vincent Esposito. Uh, now, Vincent graduated summa cum laude from the University of Bridgeport College of Chiropractic, where he also received a master's degree in human nutrition. He is a board-certified chiropractor in the state of New York and has a particular interest in functional medicine and health coaching. He combines his passion for cooking with his expertise in functional medicine principles to create realistic, sustainable practices to prevent and treat chronic diseases. In addition to working with people in a one-on-one setting, he is a co-founder of Evoke Health and co-host of the Art of Eating podcast. He also shares the latest information on whole foods, plant-based nutrition, wellness, and sustainable health on his YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Dr. Vincent Esposito. Yeah, and I'm really excited that I'm able to get you on this show because week in and week out, I've had on rugby teammates, rugby coaches, mentors, and it's been just a lot of rugby talk. And don't get me wrong, like I love the sport, but it's been a lot of rugby talk. And now it's cool to kind of shift gears and uh, change the topic to nutrition, which is, it kind of goes hand in hand with rugby and any sport, really. Sure. Absolutely. I guess, you know, tell everyone a little bit about how you got into nutrition. Because like I said, nutrition and rugby and sports, they kind of go hand in hand. And so how did you get introduced to the healthcare industry? And how did you get into, yeah, how did you get into nutrition? Right. Um, Well, it's kind of interesting. So I guess I think like most people who end up going this route, it's kind of by accident. Uh, (laughs) Um, So I went uh, actually upstate to school. I went to Union College. Um, I went there to play baseball, actually. And I really went to college with, like, no real direction in terms of career path. Um, I just knew I wanted to play somewhere. So I got there about a year in. um, I had a work-study job, and I asked to have my job transferred from where I was at to actually working for the strength and conditioning coach that worked with like all the teams on campus. So I never actually had any specific, I would guess strength and conditioning coach like licensure or training per se, but I worked with him for, you know, the last three years of college. Um, I helped run other teams on campus, like through workouts and stuff like that. And through that, um, I really, I really got into, rehab, like working with some of the athletes who were coming off injury and trying to get back into playing. And I kind of got to a point 
close to my senior year on going down the route of either going to potentially, excuse me, physical therapy school mm-hmm. or chiropractic school with the intent strictly to go into rehab, sports medicine. Like, that's really what I wanted to do. Um, at the same time, now, I grew up, um, you know, both my parents from Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them Italian-American. So one thing that was a big part of my life growing up was, you know, very stereotypical, like dinner at, you know, 6, 6.30 every day. There was one rule after school. Well, after doing your homework, the only other rule I had was coming home and being there for dinner every night. And I never really cooked before, but I would watch my mom a lot if I was home or whatever. So I was really into like the preparation, I guess, process, although I never kind of put it into action. I would fast forward back to college and I noticed probably through my freshman year, like through the the early part of my sophomore year, um, over that, I'd say like 18 months or so, I put on like 20, 25 pounds, um, which to be honest, like at first glance, like I just figured most of it was was muscle mass for the most part. Like right. I was I was active, but I was doing more specific strength training. Um, I, I really didn't attribute much else to it, but I did start noticing like kind of funky things I never did before. Um, like a lot more vague things, things like uh, brain fog, lethargy. Like I noticed mm-hmm. I never had coffee before I went to to, or when I woke up in the morning before I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I also started like dealing with like diarrhea specifically more more often, more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, just things I never had to deal with. Uh, I had developed seasonal allergies when I went to college. I thought it was just being outside of the city, but um, never had them probably before I'd say my, se- my sophomore year, excuse me, of college. And... I didn't really think anything of it kind of through my college career. Now, once I graduated, I decided to end up going to chiropractic school, uh, University of Bridgeport over in uh, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And that was really where I lived by myself for the first time. I was in like a studio apartment, just by myself, kind of minding my own business. And what I noticed was over the first you know, year and a half or so of chiropractic school was a lot mm-hmm. of those health uh, concerns that I developed in college, the weight gain, it was all still there. Now, over that first 18 months or so, because I was living by myself, like I'm on a budget, I'm living in an apartment, um, or a very tiny studio apartment, Right. I needed to fit, be as cost efficient as possible. And for me, that was, well, making my own food. Um, you know, it, eating out every day gets very expensive quickly. So, mm-hmm. You know, I needed to figure out ways to do that. And a lot of that first year of chiropractic school for me was when I'd come home, the food network would be on and I would almost, I'd call my mom pretty much every day, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you make this dish? And I'm talking the basics down from, you know, learning to boil a pot of water and literally turning on the oven, like really bare bones stuff. Right. And over those first 18 months, I got down, like, a lot of the dishes I had grown up. Again, Italian-American, so playing the hits, you know, the chicken parm and the pastas and all that. Those were really the first things I learned how to cook. And unsurprisingly, although I didn't really put too much of it together at the time, 
those health kind of problems I came up with weren't going away. Now, I was taking, uh, at about that time, uh, in this in my second year, uh, we have to take biochemistry. So I was taking biochemistry again. And turns out there was a uh, naturopathic physician who taught the classes at, um, at Bridgeport. And it was really interesting because she taught it under or through the context of nutrition, how food can actually influence biochemistry, what the role it plays, how certain um, certain pathways are triggered based on what we eat and stuff like that. And I found it really interesting and much more interesting than I did when I took it in undergrad. And it just so happened that Bridgeport also offers a master's program in nutrition. So by the end of my second year, I decided to enroll in that too. So I was kind of taking it concurrently and through the first next like six months or so, maybe a year, um, I was obviously taking a lot of these nutrition classes on top of it, but I was also doing a bit of research on my own time in terms of what we're doing in school, you know, right. how to optimize certain blood levels, uh, blood uh, biomarkers, stuff like that. And ultimately, I got to the point where I'm like, well, if I'm paying for these classes, if I'm taking these classes, you know, I might as well try some of these things I'm learning about and see what happens. Like, I basically became my own patient zero to some extent. Right. So I started, you know, about towards the end of my third year or so of chiropractic school. I started implementing a lot of these things. Um, Dairy, I know is a big thing for a lot of people, but that was one of the easiest things for me to get rid of. I never was a huge fan of it, so that was easy. Um, A lot of processed foods i didn't have them a ton but i cut them out and one of the the other kind of major things i did was um cut down on my meat consumption so that was something i did it was it was every meal um i started by cutting that down to you know two out of three meals a day and then one meal a day and then you know four or five days a week two three days a week one day a week, it eventually got down to. And what happened was over about six months, uh, the first two were probably the most dramatic. Um, a lot of the uh, the digestive issues that I was having, um, the brain fog, the fatigue, yeah. the reliance on coffee um, kind of faded. I'll still have, you know, a black coffee, you know, sometimes, but I don't necessarily, I don't need the energy boost. I get very well, you know, not have coffee tomorrow and I'll be fine. Right. Um, but the next four months, like at six months total, you know, all the weight, uh, the 20, 25 pounds I put on, um, you know, was off. Uh, it was basically back down to what I weighed in high school. I was at that point around, I guess, uh, 10% or so body fat. And since then, I mean, it's pretty much the same. Um, I could, I could tweak kind of small things at this point, but I mean, I know what I would have to do Uh, anyway. So all that stuff kind of went away. Uh, the seasonal allergies didn't come back the next year. And with about six months left in my chiropractic education, I was like, Holy crap, this something like as simple as this can make such a huge difference. And bear in mind, I understand sample size is small, but I'm someone who is very, um, regimented on a schedule so I, I would like to say 
or at least I think, to the best of my ability, all the other kind of factors that could play a role were really controlled for. I was just as active as I ever was. I was, mm-hmm. you know, going to the gym, doing at least five workouts, you know, a week, all different types of things, anything from strength training, endurance training, you know, yoga, Pilates, a lot of different things. Yeah. But that never changed in terms of the amount of times I was going. My sleep habits never really changed. My stress levels were more or less the same. So really really without changing anything else outside of what I was eating, I saw such a dramatic difference and I was just like, Holy crap, this is this is something here. <laughs> yeah. Like what that's awesome. Um what were some of your go to meals or staple staple meals like during that process? Yeah. Um so I am I was never a fan. One thing I think I learned, especially over those first couple of years of cooking, was I tried with an intent to not repeat a lot of meals um, for two reasons. One was I was learning how to cook. So I think being more versatile and using more ingredients uh, goes a long way. Um, the second thing, and this has been backed up now by a lot more of the research that I've done, is mm. a variety is really going to be a huge key. Um, so I would not say that I relied specifically on certain meals. In fact, if you get a little bit too micro and down, you know, I have to eat this food at this time, it could sometimes be detrimental. So the stereotypical, I'm sure you're familiar with this in the the fitness space, the, Mm -hmm. uh, the chicken breast, broccoli and brown rice that you eat every day. Right. Um, turns out not having enough variety in what you eat is actually really detrimental for uh, your microbiome, your gut health in general. Wow. So what I will say is this. Um, there were trends that I, that I shifted towards more than specific meals. So instead of relying on you know animal proteins for most of my meals, it became a lot more of a reliance on things like uh, legumes of all types. So we're talking mm-hmm. about lentils, uh, chickpeas, mm-hmm. cannellini beans, black beans, all down the list. Lentils, uh, chickpeas, mm-hmm. cannellini beans, black beans, all down the list. So that, you know, portion of the plate, if you want to play that game, we could go, you know, about 20, 25% is that. Another 25%-ish or so is going to be, you know, like your starchier vegetables of some sort. We're talking potatoes, sweet potatoes, Mm-hmm. quinoa brown rice etc etc um the other 50 ish percent is going to be kind of any types of fruits and vegetables that you want more or less um anything the more color the better so i wouldn't necessarily go to specific meals now i with patients i work with and clients i work with if they ask for specific things i'll give them mm-hmm. but getting to reductionistic I think is a reductionist in this is not the right approach in fact I'd argue that being as expansive as possible within that framework not only will keep you from boredom but is also helpful in terms of optimizing your health Mm. so I know that that might not answer your question directly Mm. but I uh that is, I think, the mindset to really use when you're talking about going about something like that. Got it. That's very interesting because, like, I'm, I'm curious as to what you do or what you did for breakfast because I've always thought that, like, oatmeal for breakfast is, like, the best thing. And if you, you know, eat that every day, that's, like, you're doing the right thing. 
but I well, guess. Well, don't get me wrong. Like, right. if you want oatmeal every day, that's that's great. That's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will ask you is, you know, what are you having with that oatmeal? Maybe some days you have, you know, uh, berries and chia seeds and stuff like that. Maybe another day you add granola and peaches and, you know, a little bit of I don't know maple syrup or some coconut yogurt on top. So there's my point is there's variation within that one dish mm-hmm. that is really like you're, you're talking about almost infinite, the amount of possibilities you can go with in terms of different fruits or different, you know, nuts and seeds or, or other things, maple syrup, vanilla extract, like you can make a savory oatmeal, um, with, you know, other things like that. I used to make oatmeal for, for example, one of the things I did make, so I'll give you one. Um, I do steel cut oats. I was never a huge fan of sweet breakfasts or really breakfast in general. I tend to even now skip it. Um, but was oatmeal. I make it savory in a vegetable stock and then make it with shiitake mushrooms and sesame seeds and seaweed. So you get like a savory play on a breakfast Mm -hmm. dish. So even within the context of just oatmeal, there's so much room for variation and that I think it should be explored. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So So mm -hmm. that's like, I guess, one of the the kind of take-home points, I would say, is variation even within that space, I think, is really something to expand upon. Right. Yeah, and you touched on it, like, the chicken and broccoli sort of staple is something that, you know, a lot of rugby athletes tend to try to stick to. I know a lot of my teammates, that's all they would eat. And that's so interesting, you know, that you talk about the variation and how that's important and the other different types of foods that you mentioned. Um, well, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a huge, a huge thing now. I think one of the, the major, I don't want to say discoveries because it's been out longer, but uh, yeah. growing areas of research, particularly in the last decade or so, is in... Um, gut health specifically and the microbiome. So there's, um, so I'll try to break this down as simply as possible here. So actually, when we, if you were to count up every single cell that is in, you know, you and I, human bodies, we're actually outnumbered about nine or ten to one from bacteria. Now they're just not as big, but the majority of these bacteria, these these kind of other microorganisms. Mm-hmm. for the most part, live in our gut, specifically in the colon, the large intestine. And what we're finding is the less, the, the, the less amount, the less diversity, the, uh, if there's less species or um, if certain bacteria species are able to dominate in, in ways that they probably shouldn't, if it was more diverse, if there were more, you know, kind of players, mm-hmm. Uh, the way I explain it is if you go back to like sixth, seventh, eighth grade science class, you learn about the different biomes, like the desert, the tundra, the, the rainforest, the temperate ones, you know, certain things thrive in certain environments. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what seems to be best for our health, if you want like kind of the shorthand version is diversity and the diversity of this microbiome is dictated by what we eat. And if you're eating the same thing every day, chances are that that is going to limit diversity to a pretty significant degree. Now, just being a male, chances are you are <laughs> you're not as likely to give up uh, certain medical uh, 
data points, let's say. But mm-hmm. my bet is if you were to poll those people who are eating that chicken and broccoli and brown rice at every meal every day, my guess is a good amount of them would probably have some sort of digestive complaints if you mm-hmm. re- if you really nail them down to it. Mm. Um, in your experience, what's what's like a an important factor that a lot of people don't consider when it comes to um, losing weight and or building muscle? Um, well, I don't think it's something that people don't consider, but I do think it's something that for whatever reason, I don't know if this is more has to do with marketing or just how, you know, certain kind of uh, things come to be. But I think people seriously underestimate the role of what you eat playing a role in the ability to build muscle and the ability to lose weight. Um, I, I think most people, and I was guilty of this too for the majority of my life, I thought, you know, exercise would be the, you know, just being physically active would be the number one, uh, you know, dictator right. or, uh, it would be have the highest correlation, but in reality it doesn't. And it's, it's really what you eat and it's by a significant margin. Like if you were to break down exercise versus what you eat in terms of playing a role when it comes to weight loss and building muscle, um, well, let's go with weight loss first. It's about 80% of it's going to be dictated by diet and the other 20% is going to be, you know, physical activity. Wow. So, really what you eat is going to play a bigger role. You can never outrun a, uh, a, a crappy diet. It just will not happen. <laughs> if you ever looked up, you know, the most intense workouts you do and you see how many calories that you burn, you are more than likely going to be disappointed by the number you see. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so really it's going to come down to adjusting what you eat because that is, well, A, you do that much more frequently than you're ever going to work out. Right. And B, it is a factor that you have to deal with pretty much every day unless you are forcing yourself to do otherwise. Right. Um, so it is the primary factor and treating it as the second thing. I have seen some other stuff on this in terms of this kind of, I guess, myth came about with from Coca-Cola back in like the 50s. I, I don't know if this is true, so don't hold me to this. Mm-hmm. But the whole point was that to say, hey, if you exercise, it's good to drink Coca-Cola. That was essentially the marketing campaign. Yeah. And that somehow is kind of permeated, I guess, just the fitness culture and has now led its way into 2020. And unfortunately, that seems to be common knowledge, but it's not necessarily correct. Um, <laughs> so right. that... I think that's just kind of where the mindset needs to shift. It really needs to become more kitchen centric. Mm -hmm. That's obviously not to say that being physically active is not important. Of course it is. And when it comes to building muscle, you cannot ignore strength training to some degree. Um, That will be the biggest factor in terms of your ability to build muscle is obviously strength training. Um, But it will not be, um, you know, protein intake per se. That's kind of a, separate thing and we could go down that rabbit hole a little bit Mm -hmm. if you want but um no it is definitely much more it it happens it's much more directly related to what happens in the kitchen than to what happens in the weight room Mm. no yeah i'm actually curious as to what your opinion is on protein um okay so 
obviously protein is necessary. It's essential. Um, but yet another thing that I think is often misunderstood, and I this I do know there is a lot of marketing that goes into this, is how much protein do we really need as just human beings in general? And the numbers are surprisingly low. And I'm talking less than 10% of your calories per day really need to come from, from protein. And that's probably pretty shocking for most people that I've met that come either out of the fitness world or even the sports world. Um, when you hear that the first time, you're like, no way is that true. That's a load of shit, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is you only need about 6 7% of calories from protein to survive. So we're talking about if you really want to build muscle, like we're talking somewhere in the area of like 10 to 15% peak. Um, and if you want to get to a number that's around about there, uh, we're in the United States. So what you're going to do is take your weight. You're going to divide that by 2.2. That's about the number of grams, give or take of protein you need a day, probably even a little bit less than that. Um, generally the number is about a gram per kilogram of body weight. And that, so that would be the conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that would be to survive. Uh, no, this would actually, this... now we're talking about optimal levels. It would be optimal less levels. Okay. Actually, in terms of actual survival, it's less. You're talking probably around the range of about 0.6 ish or so grams per kilogram. So, I mean, I'm good at math, but I'm not that good to do the conversion off the top of my head, but that would be what it is. Um, so it's even lower than that for you're talking about just straight survival habits. And what's interesting is even if you were to be, say, 100% plant-based, if you just ate a general variety of food, you're going to hit that number without even focusing on things like legumes and chickpeas and per se. Mm-hmm. Um, vegetables of all, all kinds, fruits and vegetables, do contain small amounts of protein. You can hit that very low number really without much effort in terms of, you know, getting to a scale or something like that. And there's a lot of research to back this up. I always recommend certain books on this stuff. Um, the China study would probably be the first one that comes to mind. So if you ever want to check that out, that's a good one. There are a bunch of documentaries on this, although none of them are perfect, but the most recent one, I'm sure you've probably heard of it, um, is on the game changers, which is specifically deals with athletes. Um, going shifting more towards a plant-based diet so there's some good information there i wouldn't take everything verbatim but it is pretty good um if you're looking for like a place to kind of get started they kind of touch on this stuff in a little bit more detail there so um i guess kind of you know the short story of it is you really need a lot less than you think and when we're talking about what might be the best protein sources it generally is a good idea to shift away from animal protein sources to plant-based ones when we're talking about just general mortality trends, life expectancy, uh, the prevalence of really most major killers. So we're talking about heart disease, uh, diabetes, cancer, um, just general being overweight. If we're limiting animal protein intake and usually trends more positively when we're talking about those major killers. Mm-hmm. So what has your experience been like working with athletes in healthcare? 
and how did you get started with that? Um, well, how I got started, I guess I'll kind of, it, it, it kind of is a continuation of, you know, the story I kind of opened with, but it was, you know, I, I just, I started talking about this stuff more often. Um, my dad actually had has an office as a chiropractor in Brooklyn, so I started working out of there. I really just started talking to some of his patients who were looking to lose weight and stuff like that. Um, I will say the difference between working with athletes and you know the general population, uh, again, speaking generalities here, but mm-hmm. kind of like the questions that you started with, you're looking for exact, you know, what to do, what to do, how to do it, how much to do it, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, while that stuff is nice, I think there is a tipping point where you might get too micro and you get almost too OCD to some extent, um, when you don't necessarily have to be. Now, when you're talking about tweaking certain things, if you're looking for very specific things, I guess the first thing that would come to mind for me would be like, if you were a bodybuilder uh, or like going into a physique composition, then you tweak certain things for competition standpoint, but even those um, those tweaks are really not sustainable long term. At the end of the day, you need to look for what's the best way to kind of optimize performance, mm-hmm. and not necessarily worry. Again, it's more about trends than specific foods at specific times. Now there is some caveats to some of that, but it's more about general trends than specifics. And what I noticed is one of the questions I get the most when it comes to being plant-based is, is it too, are you taking too much out? And what I, my general response to that is you need to see how many options you now have that you've probably never used before and then go from there because the list is very long. It's just probably not stuff you've used before. And once you start playing around with it, getting creative, I think a whole world kind of opens up and you will notice usually increases in energy levels um really without counting calories you might note that you know weight starts to come off and things of that nature and it's really just a transition in general trends more than exact amounts at specific times there's a few different mechanisms for that Mm -hmm. now were you were you plant-based when you lost those 20 pounds is that uh, that was that like focus? when I was transitioning. It, I would not say I was. I went from, you know, more of I wouldn't say uh, standard American diet. I definitely ate more vegetables and fruits than that, uh, or just more plant foods in general. But mm-hmm. it was not, you know, the ninety to ninety-five percent that I ended up at the end of those six months. Right. So it was probably more in like the sixty percent range and. What I tell really anyone I work with, regardless of if you're an athlete or not, is if you want to get to like the minimum point where you're going to start seeing change, you've got to get at least 80 to 90% of the way there. So you're talking about if you're going to have, you know, animal products, something like that, that's you're maxing that out at like two or three times per week. Um, mm-hmm. That's when you're really going to get to that point. And you know, the, the results generally are pretty good. <laughs> I mean, and sometimes they're very astounding, more so very quickly. It tends to happen with energy levels, focus, stuff like that. The, if, if there is weight to lose, I mean, that it depends on how much and, and other factors play into a role. Activity levels do come in. 
things of that nature, but a general trend or a healthy uh, range for weight loss, if you're looking to lose weight, is somewhere around a half pound to a pound per week. Uh, again, that's going to fluctuate based on how many pounds you have to lose as well. So there is some variance to that. Right. I'm curious. Are you... Um, I'm curious as to what your fitness goals are nowadays like are you someone that's looking to build muscle or uh maintain a certain a certain frame what are your fitness goals right so i I will say now um i mean i'm i'm 28 but my career in terms of athletics is over um in terms of real competitive sports um but what i will caveat that is saying that um my goal is to stay, stay as physically fit and I, I like using the term functionally independent for as long as possible. Um, I want to be able to play sports, you know, into my 50s, sit in 60s and maybe even my 70s if I keep myself in good enough shape. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's more of a maintenance thing at this point. If I wanted to put on weight, I know how to do it. Um, I don't necessarily want to because I kind of like where I'm at right now in terms of athletic performance. I do think I'm in better shape now at 28 than I was at 20, 21 years old, just simply because of how I treated my body in college versus how I do now. Right. Um, I know I feel better day to day. Um, so there is that. Um, I don't think I have the numbers in terms of raw data, in terms of measuring, um, you know, like, 40 times and stuff like that that I do. I mean, I would need to have other people around to do that. But um, I I do feel more athletic and just in that trend, yeah. But my goal is to generally be as physically able as possible Mm -hmm. as I get older. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's sort of, you know, my goal is just to always... I've always said, like, I, I wanted to be, you know, as physically fit as possible, you know. I'm not, you know, always trying to put on masks, but just be as fit as I can be. So I can, I can definitely relate to that. Um, and now, nowadays, because of the virus, uh, there are a lot of people that are working from home and probably suffering from weight gain due to a sedentary lifestyle and probably uh, added stress from work. So in your opinion, what would be uh, good practices to combat waking during during these times for people? Well, we kind of touched on some of them already. I would yeah, say we first did. step, you know, even if you are sedentary, obviously, you know, getting up and just doing something, even if it's, you know, a walk around the block, something to get started would be great. But hey, if, you know, you're home more often, you know, if you're home, chances are you have a kitchen somewhere there. So that would be a great place to start. There are tons and tons of places to get recipes, to find books, to watch videos. I make videos on this stuff. Like, if you're looking to learn, there are places to learn. So that would be, you know, the first thing to do. It's go- There's always going to be a large portion of your health that's going to be dictated by what you put in your mouth every day. So... To ignore that is you're never going to be able to reach your potential if you're just going to put that by the wayside or treat it as really some sort of secondary um, goal or it doesn't play as large a role. Right. Obviously, another thing, like, you know, I don't think um, in terms of now versus before, like, 
does the advice change in terms of how to get active? I don't think so. Um, obviously, you know, I mean, they're just reopening gyms in the next few weeks here in, in New York City. I don't know when this is going to come out, but as of right now, it is. Um, but, I mean, it is still nice out. So even if you can get outside and just get started, like, I, I do think so much of this, it, it, it's much more, I think, a mental thing than an actual, there's an actual physical barrier. It is a question of, and the answer isn't the same for everyone because everyone's kind of mental makeup is a little different. Um, some people can jump into something 100% and have no problem while others need to kind of ease into it. Mm-hmm. So there's variation. And so there really is no one answer to that. But what there is one answer to is just getting started. And I, I don't know what that motivation is for you, but you have to find it. Like I mentioned, for me, it's the ability to, you know, if I have to go catch a cab on the corner, I'm not going to pull a hamstring tomorrow or something like mm. stupid things like that, like practical thing. Right. But if it is weight loss, then you got to start. And you understand that the, the two major, the large barriers are going to be what you're eating and what you're physically doing on a day to day basis. And, you know, everyone's plan can be a little different, but you have to just get out and start. <laughs> so, right. You know, and I know you, you probably know this too, but there is no perfect workout plan. Um, you know, I, I was told, you know, the best workout is the one you're not doing yet. It's the next one. So like, mm-hmm. you need to vary what you're doing and stuff like that. But all that doesn't matter if you're not doing anything. So you have to get started. <laughs> of course. Um, so that would be it. It's just a question of what is that motivation? What is that tipping point for you? And then where and how do you find time in your day to make it consistent? At least you're talking, you know, I mean, even the uh, the American Heart Association, you're talking about 30 minutes a day. Can you make 30 minutes a day of any activity viable and then you can increase intensity and duration kind of accordingly mm-hmm. once you can fit that into your schedule? So it has to become a priority and that would really be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'll let you go, Vincent. Um Again, thank you for doing this. Thank you for your time. And I think this no, was great. No and I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you for, you know, letting me come on. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, this was awesome. I, I enjoyed talking with you. And um, hopefully we, we stay in touch. That wraps up this week's episode of the Believe in Rugby podcast you are enjoying this podcast so far, you can help out by subscribing and rating five stars if you believe that it deserves it. Also, make sure to check out Dr. Vincent Esposito's podcast. It's called The Art of Eating. It's a very informative nutrition podcast backed up by research and personal experience. Check him out on that. Lastly, if anyone would like to advertise on this show, please contact me at cmarshall1225 at yahoo.com. That's cmarshall1225 at yahoo.com once again thanks for sticking with me on the believe in rugby talk podcast hope that you guys have a great start to the week and i can't wait to get back to you next week with more content bye-bye
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.